Welcome back to For the Back. We're on part two of our season preview for 22-23. Where we left off last time, we were talking about the uh, the size just outside of the top six. We discussed the prospects of, of, of Leicester and, uh, and West Ham. Um, and I was very much the opinion, actually, that, that Newcastle should probably be above both of those in any kind of prediction table based on how they finished last season. And, of course, still with some significant financial backing as well and Eddie Howe doing a fantastic job there so what's everyone's thoughts on Newcastle Joe we'll go to you first as the resident Newcastle fan it's fair to say that Newcastle have recruited well since January um I I don't think any of those players that have come in have have disgraced themselves the the players that we brought in over the summer again I'm, I'm encouraged by I think Nick Pope's a great player to bring in it's it's not quite clear as to whether he'll be the number one at this point or if he's there to pr- uh, provide Martin Dubravka with some serious competition. Matt Target, obviously impressed on loan from Villa and we brought him in permanently. We've managed to beat AC Milan to the signing of Sven Botman, which I think is a huge coup for, for Newcastle. He, he looks like a really good player and I think he re- really sort of bolsters that back line. I think mean, we're, st- we're still in the market for a couple of players as well. We've, there's been mentions of James Madison coming from Leicester. I mean, that might be a bit of a, a long shot. We've been linked with uh, Lucas Paqueta. And I think we're all, um, I think Arsenal are in the mix for him as well. And it, so we're a long way from where we were 12 months ago. And we've also managed to ship out a lot of the dead wood. I suppose that the championship standard players that... Uh, one of the criticisms levelled at Newcastle in the last couple of years has been they're a championship team in the Premiership um, and a lot of those players have, have been moved on the likes of Jeff Hendricks gone Kieran Clark's gone Dwight Gales moved on as well but also there's been a lot happening behind the scenes in terms of developing infrastructure at the club and just and trying to reconnect with the sort of the, the Newcastle fans and it means that we're in a place where like, everything is really positive. We're really looking forward to the season. We've embraced our role as kind of the villains of the, the Premier League now. I think, you know, anytime anybody sort of a player is mentioned, we're in the mix and we're, we're quite happy to about that. But the players that we've brought in, you can see where they fit into the system. They are all doing a job. They are all we, we haven't been lured into paying over the odds for big name players who are failing um, at big clubs. And one of the ones who was linked, we were linked with quite early on was um, Usman Dembele at Barcelona. And I think I think he's ended up re-signing a contract with them. But those are the sorts of players that you, we were fearful that we could end up with. Um, and I'm, I'm glad we've sort of managed to to avoid them for the most part. And, we've, and pre-season seems to be going pretty well for us as well. The big star of pre-season has been Miguel Almiron, who... Did, did you hear about this thing Jack Grealish um, said yeah. about him? Yeah, I remember um, this. I think, I think he basically said that he should have been brought off. He was playing like Almiron. Yeah. Um, which may have inadvertently lit a fire under Almiron because he's been absolutely, he's, he's been scoring goals. He's been, he's been everywhere in preseason. And he's one of those players that the whole squad seems to like. You know, he's, his work ethic's never been questioned. He's clearly got some ability um, and he's never quite managed to put it together. I mean, at one point, he was our record signing. So it'd be nice to see if he gets a go. I think we, we are still looking for a right-sided winger to sort of finish off the squad this, this summer. I think that's the priority. I'd say we're maybe a little bit light up front. Callum Wilson usually misses about four months of every season. So we haven't got much 
back up there. Chris Wood obviously didn't pull up many trees last uh, last season when he came in. Did okay, but didn't didn't pull up any trees. I guess that's where our season could. I, I think we'll we, I think we'll be fine. I think we you know we're, we'll probably mid table at worst. Given the way we ended last season, it, it could be more than that. And when you've got teams you know who are considered to be above us, like you know Man United, Leicester, uh, West Ham, I'd probably put Wolves around there as well. So we 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 could finish anywhere from about sixth to to twelfth. And to be honest, as long as we're not in the relegation zone, I don't think we'll be that upset because it's a big project that's going on and. It, we weren't expecting results as instantly as as we got them, and it it, it could take a little time for for these signings to bed in. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting season for us. Yeah, I think the patience is the key. They they will take time, and I think you know your worry when you become Nouvelle Riche is uh, you're going to want it all immediately, and it just can't happen. And I think Newcastle are going about their business in a very, very smart way with who they're signing, who they're bringing in. It's an interesting project going on there. And, you know, a lot of these players are probably not going to have a hugely long shelf life. You know, they'll probably be, uh, if the project goes right, they'll be stepping up a, a level in the next two, three, four years. But, you know, they're making the right signings right now and they're looking at ones that could progress with the team. And, you know, with players like Sam Maxima, who... Uh, seems to absolutely love playing for Newcastle. That's got to be a big positive because you'd think every summer's going to be, oh my God, where's he going? Whereas he seems to love the club. And if the club keeps stepping up, there's a lot more chance of keeping him and the like about. The really interesting signing we've made this season hasn't been a player at all. We brought in Dan Ashworth from Brighton as our technical director. Yeah. yeah. So he and he's the one who's basically putting in all the, the developmental infrastructure in place for the club to not just be successful this season but actually on a long-term basis and I think that's a really exciting thing for Newcastle because investment in the bigger picture has was never anything Mike Ashley was interested in um, so I'm very interested to see what um, what he does and it means that Eddie Howe can concentrate on what you know he's actually there to do which is coaching the team and getting more out of the players and considering what he got out of players like Joe Linton Emil Kraft, who up until probably about March last year was one of the worst professional footballers I'd ever seen. And now he looks all right. Joe Linton was absolutely brilliant last season. And him and Bruno Guimaraes in the centre of midfield, I mean, that's that's something to be reckoned with. So it's um, it's really exciting to see I mean, um, if how we can get a bit more out of some of these players who were quite clearly underperforming under the likes of Steve Bruce and, and Benitez before then, you know, it, you don't know where we could end up, really. Yeah, you've got to thing. talk about underperformance is that the mood of the club has changed, right? So when everybody was Huge. expecting, when everyone was expecting that the best you could do was 15th, 16th, the players are going to play like that. And the fact that everybody now knows that there is something to play for is going to bring more out of flair players. That's almost inevitable. I think I agree with you that they're probably a bit lightweight up front. Callum Wilson and Chris Wood are both 30 as well, so it's not like they're really going to get massively better than we've ever seen them before. I also don't really think it is that much of a blow in the long term, given where they are and where they're going if they do lose someone like Sam Maximan, because his end product isn't as good as some of the, uh, let's say, the clippable nature of some of his play. So for a club like that, they're eventually going to be looking better than than that anyway. But other than that, I think the only real issue that they're going to have is 
they've got one or two really important players. And if they were to go down for a lengthy period, Guimaraes isn't the one I'm immediately thinking of, but there's one or two others. Then you start to, to, to you, worry. You say that, but we signed him in January. He didn't become a first team regular until mid-March. So there has been a change in culture at the club and there are more players who are thinking I can actually be a part of this team. And John Joe Shelby and Sean Longstaff were much better in the second half of last season. And they can both play in that sort of role, nowhere near as effectively. But we look like a team at last. I think the other good thing about Newcastle and their situation currently is they can go and back, yeah, you can go out and buy a load of players in January if they need to. You know, mm. so if, if you're tenth, yeah. right? So if you're yeah. tenth after the World Cup, you could go on a on a spending spree, strengthen all the areas that you need to strengthen, and just pull away, as you did in the relegation zone last year. So I think I mean, it's yeah, kind of financial. Financial fair play permitting. Um, yes, absolutely. That, that, that does come up quite a lot. And part of, the, part of the big problem that Newcastle have is that they don't have many saleable assets um, in terms of players that they might want to get rid of who they can command a, a decent transfer fee for. Um, so unless they're sort of offloading players like Sam Maximan to even out a little bit, it's actually quite difficult to bring in lots of players. You know, that's why we can't drop 200 million quick. The, the Saudis probably could afford to break the, the world transfer record and bring in Mbappe and, and make him president of Newcastle or whatever he want, he would want to be. And there would be a drop in the ocean for them. But we, we're prohibited from doing that by financial fair play. Yeah, um, but I, I think you'd still have enough space to be able to go and buy a yeah. few good Premier League pros to get you up the table a little bit if you need that you know it's, or, it's not you know, as if, if if somebody emerges during the world cup then I, I think the january transfer window this year is going to be absolutely mental and there'll although, be some clubs who will be in a position to take advantage of it yeah although by and large we're past the days of, of teams being stupid enough to sign players based on a world cup performance but um yeah i think it's all, it's all things in january it's, it's, it's a perfect storm for someone to do something really silly in january i'm really looking forward to it yeah, I mean, hope, 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 hopefully it's all a bit too smart and analytics based these days, isn't it? Um, so I think that you can say is that to look back, I, I think they'll be fine. I'm not going to um, knock them. I do think they'll be solidly kind of safely mid-table. But if you look back to where, when they did turn things around and they went from garbage to fairly solid in a, in a, just a few games, they had a, quite a nice run of fixtures where they ended up playing, I think it was something like Watford and then three or four other teams that were basically in the the bottom five or six at the time a lot of one nils and they just ground them out and until they've been in this position for a little while a run like that will actually determine a lot we've seen this with Villa where actually just the run of the the fixtures can actually determine whether or not we're looking up or looking down and next season I think that's going to be true of Newcastle a little bit too and I expect them to come through it fine because they do have better players than a lot of the teams around them now but it's a process, you know, the whole thing will take a bit of time and there's just going to be that little bit of uncertainty. And if things do run badly for a while, they will need to be patient, which they haven't been brilliant at always. And they do need to be patient enough. Otherwise, we might find that Eddie Howe becomes Mark Hughes a lot quicker than we may be expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's very early days and we have no idea yeah. what kind of owners these guys are going to be the one thing that i will say um on that is that the the individuals who run the club on a day-to-day basis amanda staveley and medad gadusi that they are they're very prominent around the club they certainly the way they've been speaking publicly about their relationship with eddie howe says that 
Eddie Howe is as much a part of the project as as any of them. And they want it to be a holistic approach to it. And they want his his input and his ideas on that as to how the club is run from the from the ground up. So I don't think my initial um, thoughts are that there won't be any knee jerk signs if things don't quite start the way that we that we want them to. Because so we're, we're on a bit of a journey here. And I think that the, the people who are involved in running the club um, at, at the top level understand that. And they've kind of signed up for a period of, I suppose, relative bumpiness. So speaking of bumpiness, let's move on to, uh, to Aston Villa, who, Lovely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who very much um, are, again, looking to move from historical big club back to big club in the here and now have some money have a Hollywood manager have made some eye-catching signings particularly early in the window but when it comes to the Gerard Villa project I don't know if anyone's quite sure what it is or what it will end up looking like yet other than lots of v-neck jumpers um (laughs) at the side of the pitch and Pete as our resident Villa fan um what are your thoughts on on where Villa are, you know, in the sort of first full season of the Gerard era? Oh, um, it's a really hard one to judge in some respects because we don't really know too much based on last year. We, a lot of the issues that we saw under Smith were still there, were still in evidence in the second half, and I suppose you expect them to be because he doesn't have a preseason. He only came in in I want to say it was kind of late November. Got an immediate upturn as managers often do but then the second half was a little bit more hit and miss and I think we eventually ended up finishing 14th the club is is well run I think anybody can see that from the outside and it is very pleasing that we got all our business done very early there's only been minimal talk over the last couple of weeks as to anybody else coming in which means that everybody has had a full pre-season uh, there's no unsettling rumour running the whole summer as there was the previous year with the the Jack Grealish saga I think it's very much a case of this is the year where we actually have to do something. There's going to be no excuses for Gerard if we don't achieve something like what we are expecting. And we have a fairly clear idea of what that needs to be, you know, where we're looking. Uh, it's, it's not a secret that our owners are now looking at villainy to, in short order, maybe not this season, but within a year or two, needs to establish themselves as, and this is the quote, the best of the rest, the one most likely to disrupt that top six. So if we're not pushing for that this year, if there's not a a big improvement on 14th, if we don't look harder to beat, which I think we might be, we seem to finally have a proper defensive midfielder rather than trying to play people there at position. But if we don't achieve that, then this will be considered a failed season. I don't think mid-table safety just kind of treading water will be considered good enough unless we somehow manage to add some silverware to the collection so yeah high demands i think this year uh i don't think everybody else looking at it really agrees with where we are or where we think we are where we think we need to be but i suppose much like when maz was saying in the last show about you know arsenal need to be pushing on the top four and not everyone would go along with that it's just as where our ownership structure uh, probably our manager too, all think that, that we need to be to actually quantify it as a success. Yeah, I think that's fair. We're, we, you should be heading towards that top half of the table, certainly, you know, seventh, eighth. 
I think that's where you should be looking at. And football's like that. You, you know, you've got clubs on the way up, you've got clubs on the way down. And where you are right now with the project that's going on, you, you're going to want to be in around Newcastle and West Ham. It's that simple. And it, if that doesn't happen, then questions are going to be asked. Uh, I think I think it's a fair a fair aim to be looking at this year. We are probably not quite as far in our project as West Ham and a little bit further on than Newcastle. So when you average out that we probably do spend a bit more than West Ham on the whole and seem to be more proactive in making it happen and certainly bring in more high profile names, the likes of Coutinho and, and so on. But we're not going to be able to match Newcastle on that long term. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that we'd be putting the same sort of grouping on, on paper. The trouble that Villa have had for a long time now has been making the most of these positive situations. So latching onto the positivity that people seem to have and not letting it get into a oh, here we go again kind of mode is going to be really important. I just don't know what Gerard football is, I think, having watched Villa a couple of times. I just not I'm not quite sure what he's trying to do. Um They seem like a very reactive team. Like they don't really have an identity of their own. They just try and set up to sometimes make life difficult for the opposition, which I suppose is fine from from time, but it means they don't really play the same way from one week to the next. But it's it seems like they, they want those full backs going high. That's certainly something you could say that Gerard wants. You know, they got Digne from uh, Everton for, for for that reason. You know, they've obviously got Matty Cash on the other side. They, they signed Coutinho, who really only seems to play well as number 10. That kind of ties you down to 4-2-3-1, but he's also played a 4-3-3. Buendia hasn't looked close to recapturing his Norwich form. Bailey hasn't pulled up any trees. So, yeah, you do kind of like wonder like what their attacking identity is going to be. Like they've tried to sort of force Watkins and Ings into the same lineup with one going wide, which doesn't seem to have worked very well. So I'm interested to see if Gerard has actually worked in pre-season on a formation, a tactical setup that's going to be Villa. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I think the, the our kind of dominant formation over the last couple of years, regardless of who's been in charge, seems to have been more on the lines of a 4-3-3, uh, with a few variations on that that we've seen. They've tried the, the two up front, and it has had games where it's looked all right, but also games where they've looked kind of ineffectual. I think it's going to be a big year for Danny Ings. He's been given the number nine shirt, which suggests that you know, he's going to get another crack of the whip. The big issue, I suppose, is that Coutinho seems to be not guaranteed a shirt, but very close to it. And Buendia has been the one that's actually been performing much better despite that. and can't really get past him, which creates quite a bad look and has a negative impact on the, the side. But I'm less concerned about attack because I think there are plenty of goals on the side and plenty of creativity. What I, I've always worried about is how easily we give away positions that are quite promising. And we, the number of times we concede soft goals, and I'm hoping that bringing in camera will give some sort of shield to the the back. Because Douglas Luiz, for all his qualities as a footballer, is not that man. He's, he, he just doesn't play that role particularly well. And I think if he can move forward, all of a sudden we start to look like we've got quite a lot of creative players that can go around him. And Whereas if you've got Cameron, maybe Nakamba, who should be back from injury this year, 
yeah, all of a sudden that midfield looks a lot better. And then you've got a bit more shielding for a defence that will also be able to accommodate uh, Diego Carlos. So, yeah, I'm hoping that if nothing else, even if we there are still some question marks over the attack, we might not have to score anywhere near as many as we have been in order to win games anyway. So, yeah, there are still lots of lots of question marks throughout the team, to be honest. And Gerard does have to solve those pretty quickly because a bad start can leave you behind the eight ball. And there's a lot of quality teams in this league and you don't want to be chasing. But all the moves on paper are right, which I guess is, comes back to what I said before. Uh, no excuses. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting season, I think, for, for Villa, for Newcastle, you know, and then Leicester and West Ham. That little group is very interesting. In terms of the average predictions, the sort of the next side that makes up that little group hoping to move from, you know, mid-table into upper mid-table into even Europa League contention is, of course, the uh, the Man City of the bottom half of the table, Brighton. Certainly the, the team that you'd like to watch the most, uh, I think, of the uh, those teams around 10 to 12, and certainly a team that has a real identity and a team which is very well supported in the town. And Graham Potter, you'd think, is, is future England manager. If not, off to a very big club, maybe United, if it doesn't work out for Ten Hag. So uh, they're, they're an interesting proposition. I, I think, as always, the problem for them, they just don't score enough goals. Create lots and lots of chances. Don't really have anyone to stick them away. I think that will still that will always be their issue for me. I mean, they're one of those teams who, <laughs> again, I mean, if, if they put away some of those chances, they could be five places at the table. And I think there was a, I can't remember if it was the, the last season or the season before, they, they were running at fourth for quite a lot of the season and then fell away quite badly. So, so they're, they're one of those teams, and I guess they're a similar sort of level to teams like Palace, who they could be anything. They could be up, they could be up the top half. They could be fighting for their lives come Christmas. It, it's never dull with Brighton, is it? I think they're safe. If nothing else, I think, Probably 13th is the worst they, I think they would go. But you would just love to see what they could be with just with a bit more money. They have like, spent on a new centre-forward, haven't they? This lad in Cisco. I don't know much about him, but uh, you do wonder if... I, I think it's about £10 million, and that's quite a lot of money for them. Uh, you do wonder if he wants to see that fun for fun, fun, fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do wonder though if he hits the ground running, if um, maybe they could be almost like the modern equivalent of Sam Allardyce's Bolton, you know, play spoiler and start to push up to seventh, sixth, even, you know, if uh, things go well for them. Yeah, Potter's a great manager. Like, you know, I, I really, really, really do rate him, but both for his football, but also the fact that, you know, just whenever he is on TV, he just comes across, I think, incredibly well. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, I live here and the feeling in the town is always that they're very optimistic um, and, and they're always very passionate and very much looking forward to the season. Their weight of expectation is kind of uh, is never too much of a burden, you know, because I think under Hewton, they were a little bit frustrated at the end that the quality of the football wasn't good, even though they were staying up. Now they're getting a good product on the field and are a safe Premier League club. So I think they're quite happy with that in a lot of ways. So I guess we mentioned Palace before. Let's talk about them because that's a, that's a really interesting team to me. Big progress last season under Patrick Vieira. Maybe the league position didn't quite reflect how well they played at times, but they they pulled off that great feat of taking 
really good young players from the championship that all seem to make the grade. Of course, the one disappointing thing is this. They've kind of obviously lost Conor Gallagher back to Chelsea, haven't they? A, a big miss for them. Yeah, he's a vital cog in that machine last year. And you wonder how how well he'll be able to be replaced because players like that don't grow on trees, especially not for the likes of Crystal Palace. So no offence to, to Palace, of course, but a player that uh, Chelsea fans were routinely saying they had to get him back and get him in the, in the side last year. And I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but the fact that that was their reaction says just what a player that Palace had on their hands. Yeah, he did very well for them. But they're signing, they're signing good young talent, aren't they? And that's the key there. As an Arsenal fan, I'm obviously very keen to see uh, Vieira. Keen to see Vieira. Uh, <laughs> Vieira succeed. Um, and uh, as a South London boy, I'm, I, I'm very keen to see Palace succeed as well. So it did look really good for them last year. Though. It, it was almost like the step up that Brighton actually made a, a couple of years prior, wasn't it? That From that battling relegation to looking a little bit more safe and maybe making the next step up. So, you know, maybe they are Brighton, but a couple of years uh, back. I, I really hope Vieira does well. Obviously, the, the better he does. And I think, as I discussed last year, you know, uh, will Arsenal fans will always have an eye on him. Well, we're not if we're not quite where we, we want to be or think we should be. So um, definitely interesting. And I do hope they, they, they succeed and hope that Gallagher won't be too big a miss for them this year and push them back to where they were a couple of years before. I think they're a team that always look dangerous when they're on the front foot. I think they they, they were good to watch last last season when they, when they wanted to have a go because they had players who could hurt teams. Uh, they had players who could make teams look a little bit silly. I mean, there's a lot of talk about Wilfred Zahar, but you know, the players like um, Ebrechi, is, is it Eze and Elise? Mm. Like, yeah, Eze coming back is bigger because he missed a lot of last yeah. season for injury, didn't he? And actually, any problem caused by Gallagher moving uh, back to Chelsea could be offset by uh, by Eze coming coming back in. They have spent money this summer as well. They they bought in Czech Decore from from Lens in in France. They've spent twenty million pounds on him as a defensive midfielder. Um, they've also brought in Chris Richards as a, a centre back from from Bayern of all places. So they have looked to strengthen. So again, I, I I don't see them doing much different to, to last season, and I think they'll be safe, and I think they'll they might just throw a few spanners into the works here and there, because I think on their day they can they can cause anyone problems. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, good teams to watch, and um, as as much as people are going to be tracking Vieira's uh, managerial career with with interest, it'll be interesting to see if Mark Gay um, actually does make it into the England squad um, for Qatar because that is a, a really cultured defender that, that I think would be uh, great to see start games for England. Right, we're kind of, uh, I guess we're in the Wolves zone, aren't we? Uh, yeah, Wolves, the most, Wolves were 12th, Palace 13th. Uh, the, the, the most boring team in Western civilization. I, I cannot think of a single interesting thing to say about Wolves, so uh, I'll leave it to you three to try. Bring back Steve Ball. They were the only side other than the relegated teams to score fewer goals than Brighton last season. That's the most interesting thing I know about them. <laughs> that's, if that's the most interesting thing we can say, we're in trouble here. Yeah. Um, they, they were really exciting two, three years ago. And they've just totally 
nobody cares anymore you know there was a fun project going in on there when uh, let me go to Tottenham Nuno. Like, yeah <laughs> and yeah it just kind of fell away a little bit as he left and you know it's just been a bit dull ever since I played a football manager and often often to kind of make it slightly trickier for yourself or to make it more interesting you start these sort of little projects where you say you're only going to buy players from one country or you, you're going to you, and they've been doing this this Portuguese thing. I know they've got Portuguese owners and they so they wanted to bring in a lot of Portuguese players to try and boost their profile in Portugal or whatever but it's it's boring now. They don't play they don't play attractive football. They did get some decent results last season at times. I, th- I think there was where did they finish last year? Tenth. Uh, they were so, actually the last time they were out of the top half last season was something like middle to the late October. They they were very efficient. You can't knock the uh, the results that they got in the long run, but yeah, not the most riveting always. It's weird because they've got um, some class players in there, don't they? Especially in the middle of the park, you know, Nevis, you know, Moutinho, yeah. I don't like the the weird thing is, Large came in with this reputation for playing quite attacking football, and yet as soon as he he took the job on, it seems to sort of you know be back to five at the back and uh, and see if we can nick a goal. I don't know. There's a lot of optimism around uh, Neto making making the leap this season you know sort of a lot of the analysis sites are saying you know he's a real xg and xa darling you know that, that actually if he kind of comes good on his analytics numbers then he could be a, a a sort of a player that emerges as a star for them but yeah they 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 look short of goals to me would be my first reaction unless a sort of two seasons on from that horrific injury if Jimenez comes back to himself maybe uh Maybe he'll be kind of um, scoring 20 goals a season again, but um, they do look light on goals. I don't think they'll lose. They won't get tonked, you know, because they are very good at the back. But I don't know if they'll score enough goals to get up towards that Leicester West Ham type of zone. They've also done very little to to improve their squad. Like the the only player they've brought in is Nathan Collins from Burnley. So again, they've done nothing to address the uh, the goal situation. They did briefly look as though Huang might be a bit of an answer. And he scored a few goals in a team that doesn't really get forward too much. So maybe second kind of full season, you know, you could look to him to get contribute a bit more. But that's about the best you can really offer other than maybe kind of Jimenez coming back into form, as you say. All right. So uh, we're kind of into the, the lower, lower part of mid table now. So who should we go to next? So the next side in the list was Brentford. Interesting. Um, obviously lost Ericsson. That's that's pretty. That's a pretty big miss for them. But they were doing uh, pretty well even before he came on board. Um, I think unlike other teams that have been voted for the championship, playing good football, Brentford has a pragmatic size to them. They're not afraid to uh, work on set pieces. They can get men behind the ball when they need to. They can counter attack when they need to. Uh, but against sides that are of their own level, then they'll they'll play on the front foot. I think they'll be safe, would be my first reaction. It had a really big range for Brentford finisher, which is why they've ended up kind of here in 14th, I think this is. But some people did have them going down that 
the loss of Ericsson potentially being something that's too much for them to to overcome. He did obviously was important to them staying up in the second half of last season. And I suppose the other thing to factor in is that even if you go beyond that, there is the risk of being a Reading or somebody like that to watch out for as well, who played very nice football in that first season back up under, uh, I think it was Steve Coppel, wasn't it? And then the following season went down fairly, you know, unambiguously. Uh, Second season syndrome would be the big worry, yeah. wouldn't it, for Brentford? Yeah, if, if they've been found they, out. They, I think they won, a, they won quite a lot of friends last year, but they've got to maintain that level of player that level of strength and you know they may they may well do and establish themselves over the next couple of years as a team around that 14th spot or they might just totally collapse it could be it could go either way couldn't it which is why I I'm not shocked to see a big range for them I think I just look at it and see a lot of teams that I'd say they were worse than them so you know depending on how form goes I tend to think they'll be all right but you know like will they be worse than Forest? Although Forest has spent a lot of money, obviously. Leeds, Bournemouth, Southampton. I don't know. I think I think probably Brentford will be all right. But yeah, I can definitely see the argument that they might they might get drawn into trouble. But um Thomas Frank seems to be a you know a really good a really good football manager. So uh, I my instinct is they'll be all right. It's one of those they could finish anywhere from like tenth to twentieth, I think. They on paper, yeah, I mean they've they've got a reasonable looking squad. But you can't account for things like injuries, and I would have, if they lose a couple of key players, then you wonder how they, how they'll cope. Because certainly up until Ericsson came in last season, they they were struggling, um, and then they they turned it around in the second half of the season. They started well, then went through a bit of a an iffy phase, and they, they could have been sucked in, um, and they managed to sort of steer away. Whether they'll, they'll be able to replicate that, well, it's, it's a tricky thing because. A lot of these teams we've got left to talk about, yeah, on paper, they're they're probably not as good in terms of the way that they're set up to survive the Premier League, but anything can happen. And I suppose the, the other wild card is is the World Cup and how that's going to affect teams. And you know, if, if a team gets on a decent run just before the World Cup starts, is that going to derail their momentum and vice versa? So it, it's another little thing that could have a, a very unexpected uh, impact on on some of these teams. We started out with Newcastle, didn't we? And we said that there's a couple of players that if things happened to them, or th- then the, you, know, you could redraw the entire boundaries of the season. I think Brentford, that probably applies to more than anybody else. Uh, particularly, I don't see them having anywhere near enough goals to start if something happens with Tony. Or if someone like United goes and buys him. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I have seen that rumours, you know, that, that uh, they United might be interested in Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen Arsenal linked in the past as well. So. Yeah, no, I mean, if Tony goes, I think, you, yeah, you're right. They'd be in trouble unless they could source, you know, an adequate replacement. They have sort of shown themselves that they are willing to spend 10, 20 million quid on a player. You know, obviously they did that in the defence last year um, and it really paid off. So, you know, they will spend if they feel they need to. There is that about them. But yeah, certainly, um, I mean, any of these sides we're talking about now, you know, potentially could be teams that get drawn into trouble or if not will be in trouble from day one speaking of which next in the list is Everton who I think a lot of people are expecting to have a, a season of struggle and, and probably be in the mix from day one and have to scrap to stay up if they're going to manage it it's it's come so so fast from the days when they're James Rodriguez up front and Carlo Ancelotti in the dugout 
either the feel-good factor of last season and how they finished propels them up the table and fat Frank, poor man's Mourinho act kind of uh, makes him a hero on Merseyside, or it all goes very, very wrong and they've had four managers by April and they're rank bottom of the league. I think it's one of those, isn't it? Like, it could really go either way. But if you look at their squad... You'd have to say they've got enough good players that, that they really should do much, much better this season. They, they've got the England goalkeeper. Jesus Christ, is Begovic really their backup goalkeeper? That's hilarious. Yes, he is. How old is he now? 35. Oh, OK. He's one of those players that you kind of think has been playing since, you know, 1893. But yeah, Tarkowski is a good player. Who they bought him? Yeah, Tarkowski. Uh, Tarkowski and uh, McNeil. And there's rumours that they're about to finish with corner as well. So basically anybody with a reputation that plays for Burnley has moved across to Everton. And Vinagre as you well. You think they wanna, like, like they're going to want to have some kind of Richarlison replacement in there, surely? I guess or they're, they're going to struggle. Calvert-Lewin, Gordon, Gray, that's an all right front three. Iwobi actually had a few decent games, of course, late of Arsenal. Um, Do you know the it... only issue with Iwobi, I haven't seen him play in person a couple of times now, the only issue with Iwobi for me is the, the fee. It's so ludicrously inflated on what he actually get, but he was one of the only bright sparks in that team in the, when they were really struggling last season. You could literally count the positives on one hand, and he was one of them. So, obviously scored that winning goal in the what was it, 98th, 99th minute against yeah. Newcastle that probably was the turning point for them. Yeah, so you, you have to give him that. So, I mean, actually, if you look at their, if you look at their first 11, it's not too bad. Keane and Tarkowski obviously played together before, so so that's that's interesting. Mikolenko had a, a pretty good season. They probably need to, they need a right-back, really, don't they, because Seamus Coleman is 100% donezo. Brought in Nathan Patterson to, to play at right-back. Oh, uh, OK. I think in January last year, so I, th- I presume he's gonna he's gonna play a bit, yeah, because John Joe Kenny's moved on. Biggest yeah. issue for them, uh, you might be able to weigh in on this, Neil. When I've seen them, is that they don't have enough progressive passing in the midfield, so they run out of ideas very quickly. And I look through their actual midfielders now, and the only person I can maybe see filling that role is Deli Ali. And I've got no idea if he's going to be able to do it based on... Who knows? I mean, they said it was a long-term project, basically, they took him on. Uh, And that's why he's not, you know, he's not played loads of games. It's so funny because I think back to that Liverpool Spurs game in December last year when Conte surprised everybody and played a a 3-5-2 instead of the 3-4-3 and he had Deli Alley as the 10. And there was a moment in that game you know, when it looked like the old Deli Alley and he kind of stole in and it looked like he was about to score and he just fluffed it. He had real flashes in that game and he thought, oh, you know, is he going to rediscover himself and Conte will actually kind of buy into him? But now he was off to Everton by January. And there's rumours all over the map about him. Either Lampard sees him as a long-term project and something he still believes in or they're trying to ship him out to avoid paying the add-on clauses that, that were in his contracts um, back to Spurs. So... Oh, I mean, I I really want him to succeed because clearly he's a player that meant a lot, a lot to us at Spurs, and it was a real shame to see the way his career went. But and he's still so young as well, so you'd love to see him play as a play as a ten at Everton and really flourish. Like I would love to see it. I don't know, it'd be some comeback if he did, if he did manage it. 
I wonder what's going to happen. You know, there's there's a lot of talk that Spurs are in for Anthony Gordon. That would be a big loss for them if if uh, we managed that because he obviously was again local boy that really gave them some hope last year. I don't know. I think they that on paper this side shouldn't struggle. They won't they won't get up mid table with a side like that. But I don't think they should struggle. But as we saw last season, it didn't take long for them to uh, to get sucked into it and for all the confidence to go. So. Yeah, big big test for Lampard. Jury's still out on him as well, isn't there? Let's be yeah. honest. He hasn't proven anything yet to play in basically a four-six-zero formation at times to scrap your way out of trouble. Doesn't prove anything when you've got a starter season that you can't play like that from August. They just the want board aren't ob- the board aren't obviously backing him, right? They, 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 they haven't they haven't spent any money this summer that all the players they've brought in have been loans or or free or free transfers they've brought in they've raised 50 million quid through Richardson but obviously they spent money in January and look what he did with it yeah the, the money there seems to be some money issues there doesn't there, there because are. they 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 well, so the much money yeah. in- it's it's not even the stadium it's a financial fair play issue if they didn't sell Richarlison to Tottenham then there was a very good chance they were going to be taken to court by Burnley and the, you know the essentially relitigating the whole who went down over the course of well Evan weren't competing fairly just because of how much they'd spent. So there is no desire. Who did to... they spend it on? Well, this is the funny thing is that none of the players have made <laughs> yeah. any impact. But the, the, just to cycle back to Anthony Gordon a minute, there is no desire to let Anthony Gordon go. But the reality might be that they've got no choice. Uh, there, There is no money to back Frank Lampard, which is why when you look at the names that they've got on the side to find that progressive passer. You're looking at maybe Deli Ali or Andre Gomez kind of improving to be that player because there isn't going to be a big incoming. Yeah, I mean, like they they wasted so much money. When you think about that season when they they just went and bought a load of slow number tens and they bought like Sigurdsson, Klassen, Rooney came back on a free transfer and obviously was on big wages. You know, Iwobi, as you said, was a stupid amount of money. Andros Townsend, you know, they have just uh, Walcott, you know, they spent a lot of money on very mediocre players and it's come back to bite them. I've heard quite a few rumours about Idris uh, Egei coming back. That would be a big help for them. Oh, who else they have? Like, So, yeah, half a billion quid they spent since 2016. Yeah. Balassi, I forgot about him. Angelotti spent 60 million alone. He was only there for a year. I mean, it's crazy, you know, when you look at what, the, you know, Lookman, Ashley Williams, like, good God, like some of these signings are absolutely crazy. Sigurdsson cost them £44 million. Pounds. Yeah, we won't talk about Sigurdsson though for the same reason. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, you know, I guess they, they made £25 million on, on on the Richarlison um, signing from Watford, uh, you know, at least. Dinier, they obviously signed for 18 What did Villa buy him for? Not much more than that, I don't think. Um, they did make money on the, the deal, but it wasn't a, a huge profit. Yeah. Oh, Moisey Ken, of course. Yeah, that, that didn't work out. Andre Gomez is still there. That was 22 million. Fabian Delph. Gabamin cost him 22 million. He's barely got off the treatment table. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not it's not been too good for them, has it, really? I mean, at least Allen and um, Ducore are still starters in the first 11. But, yeah, they've spent a lot of money. So, yeah, that it, they 
could be in real trouble if they went down. Oh, it's a disaster for them if they go down. They, they are not remotely set up for the, the championship. They, they'd they make, well, let's just put it this way. They're much more likely to be Villa going down and finishing 14th in the second tier the next season or worse than to do what Newcastle did. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Right, who are we, uh, who are we on to now? I guess we're getting towards the relegation zone. So the next is 16th and it's Leeds United. Uh, obviously, no Bielsa this year is the big change, and then no Rafinha either, and no Calvin Phillips. So, yeah, a lot of change. It's going to be a very different looking outfit all round, I would suggest. They've made some good signings, though. You know, Aronson is a really, really good footballer. Tyler Adams is a really, really good footballer. And I know there'll be a lot of jokes about the fact that, oh, you know, they're just signing Americans, you know, American manager, ha ha ha. But they're both really good players, and they suit the way that he likes to play. Mark Rocker from Bayern, again, is a, you know, sort of deep-lying playmaker, good good player. Again, it'll suit the way they want to play. Um, Sinistera from, I think, Feyenoord. Um, he scored a lot of goals uh, in the Eredivisie. So, you know, yeah, they've lost, you know, a sort of potentially world-class player in Rafinha um, and obviously a, a sort of local boy made good in, in Phillips. But they have strengthened, and, and I... And I I, I don't know. And Bamford, obviously, coming back from injury is absolutely massive for them. So, yeah, I don't know. They, they again, they could be all over the map, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them as high as 10th if everything goes well. But, yeah, they they do still have a lot of championship standard players on the on the um, on the squad. That is a little bit of a worry. Yeah, I don't think you can lose two good players in your position there as 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 good as as Phillips and Rafinha. And you know, after really struggling last year and really going down the wire, I think unless old Ted Lasso there produces a bit of magic with with his new style on that team and can really impose it, because I'm guessing he didn't really have that much time to do a great deal with, with that last year, just change up a few things, you know, and, and get them across the line, which he managed to do. So fair play to him there. But these players... <sighs> Yeah, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, I think they could be in big trouble this year. Unless we really see from the get-go the team that he wants to put out, yeah, playing his style and playing it well, I think they could be in trouble very, very quickly. And then who knows what could happen. You know, if he's under pressure with his job early on, who knows? I think it's going to be really tough for Leeds this year. He won't get anything like the same leeway that Bielsa got for a long time either to put things right. So, you know, we mentioned that Everton could end up with four managers. It's not inconceivable that Leeds could be on a bit of a roller coaster themselves. Uh, I think I'm going to need to see these replacements be Premier League quality and settle quickly before I'll stop worrying about them because, you know, these are big players to replace. And I'm sure, uh, obviously, they've, they've bought the right or the right positions in they have replaced, but whether or not they are going to be able to live up to the quality of the players that have gone out, that's that's going to be everyone's looking at for at least the first five or six games, I think. I think I've watched, well, I've watched a lot of Tyler Adams. I mean, he is the real deal. Peter Sick is supposed to, the de facto star of the uh, US men's national team, uh, but really it's Tyler Adams. He is a really, really good footballer. I would say he's a better footballer than Calvin Phillips. So I think he is a, a slam dunk signing, I would say, actually. And uh, I think Leeds were lucky to get him because I think a lot of other teams around Europe would have been looking at him. 
but but clearly he's got a connection with the manager so uh that's helped them there really and Aronson is potentially a really good a really good player as well but yeah I think I do I think it's up front really like Bamford if he's back and firing um and then it's just what what can Sinisterra give you in place of Rafinha like as I say he's done very well in the Dutch league so if he can translate it they may be okay just hoping he won't be another Afonso Alvarez then I mean yeah there's it's always the danger isn't it like if you sign someone from the Dutch league you could be getting Ricky Van Wolfswinkel or, yeah. know, or you could be getting Marco Suarez. Boogers. You know, you know, you could get Luis Suarez or you could get Marco Boogers, it's true. So after Leeds, I'm just looking now, you're into seventeenth and the bottom three. So I guess you it's conceivable that any of these four could go down. That's what most people are saying. And I guess you know, conceivably the teams we've just mentioned as well. But uh, there's a pretty clear link between Leeds and the next team there's very little separating and that's Fulham so I think people are saying they're going to do a little bit better this time than their fairly well let's call it what it is their piss poor attempts the, the last couple of times they've been but they say that each time it happens <laughs> maybe um, I have to go back what, and check keep, right, so hang on so the average is Fulham above Southampton yes that's crazy that's absolutely legitimately insane I'm sorry I'm can't be, I can't be having that. No, 50, like fifty percent of all I was looking at had Southampton to get relegated, which I was surprised at. But yeah, I, clearly quite, they've been in decline for a while, and a lot of people always think this is the year that the time runs out. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Southampton. I mean, Southampton have always got a bit of a range to them, haven't they? Like they could be, they could be fifteenth, they could be fifth. Like that, that is, I guess they've always been a bit of a sort of schizophrenic club since they've been back in the Premier League. Liverpool. Yeah, I mean that, but but um, yeah, Fulham with Tony Khan as the owner, <laughs> and and Marco Here Silva, it comes. Uh, and Marco Silva as the manager. No, I don't think so. Like Marco Silva has never ever, I don't think, done a good job at any Premier League club he's been at. And Fulham, you know, with the Championship with Mitrovic scoring like forty odd goals against Championship defenses, and he probably won't score six against Premier League defenses. Yeah, I can't see it personally. I think that I think they're the worst of the promoted clubs. Yeah, Midrich does have that reputation as being, to use the baseball term, the 4A player, where he's just that bit too good for the championship and not good enough for the Premier League. And he does have something to prove coming up that that isn't the case. I'm just trying to think about who they bought in and might make a difference. I'm not sure anybody's really going to replace Carvalho, who's gone off to Liverpool either. That's really kind of worried they, they for me they're hoping that there are going to be three worst teams and I don't personally think Southampton are going to be one of them no I mean either I mean I can't yeah so, like you know I do think sometimes their uh, their tactics are extremely risk and reward and that's why they often end up getting a few tonkings every season but uh yeah I think they're too good to go down it comes as no surprise then that the bottom two sides that everyone's gone for are Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest. And I think I'm right in saying that it was broadly unanimous that these two would go down. So a little bit of debate on the third side, whether that's Fulham, Southampton, Leeds, Everton, even uh, Brentford in a couple of cases. And then that covers about everybody. But Bournemouth and Forest seems to be everybody's pick to fall straight through the, the floor again. And, and a lot of people had Bournemouth dead last. So I would have had Forest as, as being in trouble, obviously having come up for the playoffs. But they've spent some money and spent it wisely, I think. Dean Henderson, Nico Williams, 
Jesse Lingard, you know, you'd like to have seen them get a uh, a different a different centre forward. But um, yeah, overall, you'd have to say that they've they, they've kind of they've bought well. Whereas I don't think you know Bournemouth are basically relying on the fact that you know all those players they kind of got out of Liverpool's reserves are going to be are going to actually make the step up. You know, at the time of recording, speaking of their centre forward, it is worth adding the deal for. Keenan Davis, who obviously scored all those goals in the promotion push, isn't dead yet. And Villa are supposed to be reasonably open to letting him go if there's a fee that they're happy with. Equally, though, he did so well when given the opportunity that I don't think they're desperate to push him out the door. So it does depend on how much Forrester are willing to pay for him and how much they think they've spent already and whether that's enough. But uh, yeah, it's it's always difficult for a team that comes up through the playoffs. But I think Forrest will have a lot of goodwill. And I think if they can sustain that feel-good factor that was there the second half of the season, uh, it's often something that we see with the the team that comes up through that playoff rather than the... Often the team that comes second tend to not really have it. You can kind of take that with you through into the following season, potentially. Uh, That's certainly what they'll be hoping for anyway. Looking at Bournemouth's squad, again, you know, like, there are some good players in here, you know, and a lot of them were Premier League quality players that that stuck around, you know, after the relegation or kind of went from from other relegated clubs. Like, you know, people like Philip Billing have had a good Premier League seasons before. I guess the big thing for Bournemouth is, right, Solanke looked like he was miles off it when he first came from Liverpool. He's had two good seasons in the Championship. Can he make that step? You know, it's, it's like the Mitrovic question again, isn't it? If Solanke turns into a Premier League centre forward in the way that Tony did, then Bournemouth might have enough because certainly I would trust Scott Parker as a manager over Marco Silva. I think I'm inclined to agree with you there. I, I just think that the, the squad is probably not going to have enough, uh, regardless of the manager. Uh, Fulham have more resources and sometimes that can get you over the line. There's always a chance that they could have somebody else in post in October or November and then it's a you know it's a second half of the season race and I think that might be what can potentially help Fulham I don't see it ever coming to the rescue for Bournemouth in the same way Forest is the the wild card I'm not sure I'd put them in the same boat um I, I really find, find it hard to, to predict Forest you sort of assume that they'll go down but hmm, I'm not sure oh, Whereas, I do wonder that there might be a bit more hope for Forest because they're Forest than people kind of want them to stick around you know they wanted them to get there I mean probably not you as a as a fellow Midlander but I don't care uh, about these Midlands clubs to be honest they care about us but I, I don't care <laughs> one of those, isn't it? Like, yeah but yeah I mean I think everyone would like to see Forrest do well oh, mo- most people would like to see Forrest do well you know Lingard who knows how, how good Lingard's going to be for them it seems like a coup, especially if they did beat out West Ham to get him. But it's, you know, if he wants to be main man there and it'll be interesting to see how well he can do. You know, we, we, we've we known for a long time, Jesse Lingard has a lot of potential, but he's, he's not a youngster anymore. You know, he'll turn uh, 30 this season. So this is really the last. Word. That yeah. can't be, can it? I know, I, know, I know he's not a youngster anymore, but that's, that sounds insane. Yeah, he was right. sort of his breakthrough at United was when he was kind of 24, 25. He took a long time to to come through. I think well, Lingard last time that he was playing for a different Premier League club, he was sensational. I guess he hoped that that loan would be enough 
to get a proper shake of the stick at United. It hasn't been. So it really just depends. Like when he went to West Ham, he really had something to prove. I, I would, if I were Forrest, I'd be hoping he has that fire again and he wants to, to, to prove United wrong. That, that would be the hope. When players leave United, it can go one of two ways, can't it? You know, you can be somebody like Wes Brown that has a, a, a or Jeno Shea that have really, you know, positive influences on the clubs they go to after they leave. United, Nicky Butts, another one. Or you can be a Lee Sharp or somebody that just completely fizzles out. Mm. Um, so it can go one of two ways. Well, one thing I've heard a lot of people talking about recently with regards to Lingard is that West Ham spell. Uh, and this is just delights the, the analytical minded out there. But he outperformed XG is the phrase. Uh, consistently throughout that whole run and the logic being that unless you're Lewandowski you can't really do that consistently and yeah I'm sort of expecting a, more of a return to normality at Forest. I think he might end up being one of their better players I'm not really expecting him to justify the wages that they've gone out to go and get him in reality I think it'll be good solid but definitely a lot less spectacular than what we saw because I don't think Lingard is really going to be that good over the longer term and able to outperform, you know, what he's expected to get consistently. Good and solid is what they need, though. Could well you know, be. Like, yeah. And he'll run around, be, you know, to play well all season as as opposed to have a couple of spells where he's magnificent and a couple of spells where he's anonymous. Mm. You know, he, he will work. That's the thing about Lingard. He is a blue collar player. He will run around. He will do the pressing work. He will make intelligent runs for other players to benefit other players. He's not selfish. He is a team player. Um, he's got a personality which obviously divides opinion. But in terms of a dressing room, you'd have to think he'd have a big impact on a dressing room like that. So, yeah, I think it it should be a really good signing for them. Um, I hope so, because I've always found Lingard be very likeable myself. And if he doesn't do amazing if he just does solid then when Chelsea are 14th in a couple of months they won't come and poach him so that would suit them as well there you go so what you're saying is he'll be playing for Barcelona before the season <laughs> everybody is have you not seen the they're buying everybody it's like the uh, Hotel California no one ever leaves yeah so uh I guess that that all that sort of leaves us uh with Dennis just to kind of uh, sum up what our thoughts are for the season ahead it's going to be a strange one World Cup in the middle starting earlier to accommodate that like football in the first weekend of August it's going to be uh, uh, an interesting weekend and lots ahead of us so I guess all we uh, all that's left uh, to say is that you know we hope everybody enjoys the season everybody's clubs do uh, as well as you want them to do and um, keep following us for uh, more content and of course our next season of uh, Looks Back at Classic Teams is uh, on its way too. So look out for that in the, uh, the weeks and months to come.